And if you are here this morning, um, you have, if this is your first time here, you have um, come to the gathering on the last day of, of our At Our Core series. And um, I love what Andy Stanley says. He says this. He says, a series is when I pick a topic and talk about it until you're sick of it. Um, and so that's what we've done for the last, believe it or not, 14 weeks. This is the 14th week in our At Our Core series. It has seemed like maybe a long three and a half months for some of you. I have loved it. And so what we've done is we've given you these cards to take home. You can put them on your fridge. You can um, use them this morning to do this because it's a little warm in here. You can um, use them as bookmarks. But what we gave them to you for is because I, I just got to thinking, 14 core values. That's a lot. And, and I th- man, what, we, what if we had a contest and I had people stand up and just start naming as many as they could? At some point, we probably couldn't say 14 core values, right? And so we started asking God before we ever started, hey, God, look, I, I'm an idiot. I don't think I can remember 14. H- how about could you give me four? Could you just narrow it down? And so we have um, on your sheet, you'll see them listed. We have what we call our, our core four, the, the four that are most important. And it is this, it's the undeniable. If you can only remember four words, remember this, the undeniable. We value the unbreakable. We value the uncontainable. We value the unexplainable. And so we have taken from the very first day to today, and we have just kind of put these 14 into these four containers And so we talked about biblical truth. We talked about engaging communication. We talked about valuing your story, your testimony, and how all of those are about the undeniable message of Jesus. We talked about the unbreakable body of Jesus, about unity, about having authentic relationships. We talked about spiritual legacies and genuine hospitality. Look, a lot of churches say that they they like hospitality, but what they really mean is we just like to get together with the four people that we like the most and never let anybody else come. And so that was the day that we talked about Southern hospitality versus biblical hospitality. And Southern hospitality says, how are you? Don't answer because I really don't care. And biblical hospitality is, I'm going to open up my home to you. I'm going to feed you because that's going to open your heart to Jesus. Those are the four that fit under the unbreakable body of Jesus, the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus. We talked about valuing uncontainable growth. And so the first time we said that, all of us kind of go, oh, I see how you are. Uh Uh-huh, I knew it. The gathering looks different, but I knew that you were just like every other church. You just want numbers. And our answer to you is, yes, we do. We want numbers. We want souls in the kingdom of God. We want so many souls that our church can't handle it. We want so many souls to come to know Jesus Christ in our city, and our county, that we actually get on the phone and call other churches and say, help. We are not about us having huge numbers. We are about the kingdom of God growing uncontainably in our county and partnering with other ministries that love Jesus as well. We've, we talked about ministry training, about how we want you guys to try gifts and fail. We are a church that loves failure because it just means one more thing that you're probably not gifted to do on the journey of finding what you are gifted to do, right? So we're all about trying to... Um, Decrease the number of bad American Idol auditions, right? If you sing in our church and you are terrible, we will say this, you're terrible. Maybe you don't want to sing again. 
But we've got another ministry you should try, right? So we're all about ministry training. It's okay to try. It's okay to fail. We're about radical evangelism. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. We believe in unwavering prayer. Some of you moms that are here today, like if you were going to take one of these 14 and circle it, that's yours. That was my mom's. My mom believed in unwavering prayer. It sounds like this. God, save Paul. Because if you don't, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Some of you moms have prayed that. Maybe not about Paul. Although maybe if you're part of the gathering, you have prayed that about me. But you've prayed it for your children. That's a mom value right there. Unwavering prayer. I will not. I mean, this is the only time I can ever call moms dogs. And not get things thrown at me, right? But moms are like that. They're tenacious. They get a hold of, they just get a hold of it. And it's, I'm not letting go. God, until you hear me, until you answer my prayer. They're like a dog with a bone. Like I play with Bella at home all the time. I got this little, like a ton of toys. You throw them, she gets them, she brings them back. You throw them and she goes. And they'll, I, I throw it and I think, she's so cute for a stupid dog. Like, I throw, she goes. I throw, she goes. It's amazing. You know, she doesn't think, like, I'm getting tired. She loves it. And she brings it back, and we play this little tug of war, right? And some of you are like that. Man, some of you have this, this gift, this, you just, I will not waver in my faith. I am going to believe God until I see it. We value unwavering prayer. So the last three weeks, we've talked about the unexplainable worship of Jesus. We did talk about passionate worship. Um, look, I am a worshiper at heart. I love like I, could, I am one of those guys that literally I could sing worship songs all day long. Just so you know, it's okay to be different. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I love to worship, but not all day long? See, that's good. That's good because it takes all of us, right? So I get that. And so what we did that day is we talked about how worship is not about the music. Worship's about your life. Worship's about people going, I cannot believe that you're doing those radical, crazy things for Jesus. Why would you ever do that? And our answer to them is, I don't know. I'm just crazy in love with Jesus. It's unexplainable worship. Sometimes it happens musically. Sometimes it happens like last week. We talked about simpler living. It happens in your budget. I spend less on me and I spend more on somebody else. Now that'll get people's attention, right, in today's society. You did what? You spent less on you and more on someone else? Why would you do that? And what is the answer? I can't explain it. It's unexplainable. Why would I take this year's worth of perfume and break it open onto Jesus' feet? Like all the disciples were going, she's a crazy woman. Why would she do that? Who throws away a year of salary? And you know what that woman, here's what she looked like. I just, I had to do it. I'm in love with Jesus. And today we wrap up with my absolute favorite. We value bold faith. We value bold faith. Now, why has this series been so good for me? Because I love talking about the core. Because when you talk about the core, you're talking about what matters most, right? You ever ask yourself that question? What matters most? Ecclesiastes, just jot this on your sheet of paper. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. He has set eternity in the hearts of man. And so when I started saying to God, look, I, 14 values, yeah, we'll never remember it. How about four words? He gets four words. That's great. That's a good start. But if you read these, the undeniable message of Jesus, the unbreakable body of Jesus, the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus, the unexplainable worship of Jesus, what do they all have in common? One word, it is 
Jesus. Because at our core, at our core, man, we want to be a church that is about Jesus. And I know everybody says that. I know they do. But, I mean, even this week I heard people have conversations kind of bragging about their churches. And they'll say stuff like this. Our church is all about worship. Our church is all about generosity. Our church is all about family. Our church is all about, and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But listen, at the end of the day, if we're just a church about those things, we have missed it. We have got to be a church that is about one person. His name is Jesus. And here's why that's important. Take a person, take a look at the person next to you. Their eyes are either full of life or their eyes are full of emptiness. <laughs> Don't look at them again because they'll be like scanning their eyes. All right, which one are you, right? But the Bible says that the eyes are the window to your soul. You ever see people with hollow eyes, empty eyes? It's an empty soul. You know why they're empty in their soul? Because they're trying to do these core things without the one core that matters. His name is Jesus. See, I know this for a fact. When we talked about simpler living last week, every single one of you, you value simpler living. You know how I know that? Because every single one of you go home and you cuss at the end of the month at your budget when you don't have enough money to pay the bills. And at the end of the month, you think, you think things like this. God, I just wish there was some way I could just get rid of this junk. Everybody values simple living. And so what you do, when you, what you should do is that emptiness that God put in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says eternity is in your heart. There's a hole there. And it can only be filled with one thing. His name is Jesus. It cannot be filled with a yard sale early on a Saturday morning to try to get rid of some of the junk so that you feel like you're living simpler. You can't do any one of these values apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can try to do every one of those values, and it'll work for a while. But there is a hole in your heart and in mine, and it can only be filled by Jesus. I will be a happy pastor if we can be known as the church that points people to Jesus. It could possibly stunt our growth. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but everybody in the South loves God. Nobody loves Jesus. So we become a church that values pointing people to Jesus, and people start saying stuff like this. I don't know if I like that. Jesus? I mean, let's talk about God. Sure, we can do that. Every religion does that. But we want to be a church that talks about Jesus. We want to be a church that points people to a Redeemer. That says to people, your, your life might be broken, but I serve a, a Christ, a Jesus, a Savior, who can take broken pieces and somehow better. Show me at anywhere else. Nobody else does that, only Jesus. I want to be a church like that, where broken people walk in and actually find hope because they meet Jesus. So today we're, we're tackling our last core value you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 14 while you're turning. I, I have, um, from way back in my college days, I will go ahead and admit that I am a huge, huge David Letterman fan. Um, I love top ten lists. I love all the stupid things that he does. But I thought I would let him kind of introduce our topic this morning. So we'll play this little clip and then we'll move forward. It's George W. Bush invigorating America's youth. <laughs> George W. Bush now invigorating America's youth. Self-explanatory, take a look. 
need to maintain spending discipline in our nation's capital. I've had a plan to protect small business owners and employees from I actually did vote for the $87 billion with all your heart. State House members, all the local officials, the high sheriff is with us today. If you're worried about the quality of the education community in which you live, we stand for the fair treatment of faith-based groups who to receive federal support for their work. This will not happen on my watch. It's tough to be bored anywhere, but especially in the wrong places, like um, bored in church is tough. Um, anybody drive for a living, like truck drivers, whatever? Um, when I was dating Wendy, I would go down to Columbia, and I, I literally would cry in the mornings. I would stay overnight. I would get up early on Sunday morning because I was working as a youth pastor at First Assembly. This is way back in the day. And so I, instead of being smart and coming home on Saturday night, I would stay just to see her one more, just just five more minutes, whatever. And then I would get up early on Saturday, Sunday morning, I mean really early for the two-and-a-half-hour drive back, and I would be so exhausted. I would be five minutes away from Columbia and thinking, oh, God, I have two-and-a-half hours to go. I just want to sleep. You ever been bored in the wrong place? Like some of you today are going to nod while I'm talking. It's a bad, awkward place to get bored and tired. Although we're all going to watch you and make fun of you. It's going to be great for us. Some of you are bored in life. Worst of all, some of you are bored in your faith. Boring tends to lead to falling asleep, and falling asleep can happen in bad places. Um, I heard about a pastor who was hired as the associate pastor of a very large church, and on his very first Sunday, he was sitting in the front row. And the pastor starts teaching, and everything's going great, except for one problem. The newly hired associate pastor had narcolepsy, which narcolepsy means you just you fall asleep at any point, in any time, anywhere. And he fell asleep during the sermon, and all he remembered was when he woke up, his head was in the lap of the senior pastor's wife. Falling asleep in the wrong place is not good. So here's the deal. The, the church in America, I, I'm going to say it, it's going to be strong, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. The church in, in America has come to value playing it safe. We are a church that plays not to lose. We are um, the Carolina Panthers running the prevent defense, which prevents them from winning. We value playing it safe, and as a result, we have a faith that could be described as a boring faith, and at the gathering, we do not value boring faith. We value bold faith. Now we can start filling in the blanks. Are you ready? If you got your sheet of paper, here we go. We value bold faith, and we expect people to dream and do big things for God. We value bold faith, and we expect people to dream and do big things for God. Let me just say right up front that it's one thing to dream, but that doesn't set us apart. Dreamers, um, dreamers are a dime a dozen, but the doers of dreams, that's what we want to be. Okay? Sometimes when you dream, that's good. Then you have to wake up and get to work. All right? So this morning, I want to walk you through this, this is an awesome story of a dreamer and a doer, a man who made bold moves for God because he had bold faith in God. 
I want to introduce you to a man who is not even given a name in Scripture. And I think that's awesome. Because sometimes I read like about David, and I go, God, that's, that's so cool, but that's David. And then I read about Paul, and I think, well, that's really cool because my name's Paul, but, but that's Paul. But this morning we're going to look at a man who's not even given a name. And it just makes it a little bit easier for me to start imagining that possibly that could be me. That could be you. There's no name to get in the way. We're going to look at a person who we could be like this morning. So our story is in 1 Samuel 14, and we're going to look at it. Um, I believe that you're going to be convinced that our God is a God who is moved by us when we move in bold faith for him. 1 Samuel 14, let's start in verse 1. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. When we thought Biglick was a weird name, <laughs> Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man, his armor bearer, Come, let us go to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now that we've gotten through all the weird names, we're at verse 4. Now we're getting to the good stuff. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistines was an out, uh, Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sink. I love that. They named their cliffs back in the day. That's pretty cool. It's like giving directions in the south. Uh, you'll come to the oak tree that we call Big Fella. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other towards, to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come then, we'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we'll climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up, verse 13, using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Five things I want you to get about bold faith. Number one, bold faith is risky. Let me go ahead and say that this does not play well in America. Okay? Is that, are y'all okay with that? This does not play well in America. American church relates to Saul. Do you see the picture here? Saul is sitting under a tree with 600 men waiting. Jonathan is on the move with one man exploring. Bold faith is risky. Boring faith sits under a shade tree drinking sweet tea, enjoying the 600 men that they now have. That's what Saul's doing. The armor bearer is young and hungry, and I love this. I just love the detail of the Bible. But he did not tell his father. Like, even back in those days, boys were boys, right? Hey, I got this great idea. Don't tell mom and dad. 
Just follow me. Yeah, we're going to jump off a 50-foot cliff. It's okay. Don't tell anybody. That way when we're laying at the bottom of the ravine floor bleeding and can't move, no one will know to look for us. I mean, they're just, they're just adventurers. They're just young. They're like, man, let's do something. I love that. Notice the contrast. So Saul's hiding under a tree, but Jonathan was out in the open. So verses 4 and 5, do we have any military people here? Raise your hand. One, we appreciate your service. And two, you're going to recognize right away that verses 4 and 5 are horrible fighting conditions. Okay? Um, you guys that go play laser tag with us later, you'll learn this. High ground is a good place to be. Okay, but verses four and five describe them. They're looking. There's cliff there, cliff there, and they're down here. This is not where you want to be. This is not good fighting position. This is low ground, not high ground. Bold faith is risky. Verse eleven is even more plain. I love it. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Anybody ever play paintball? Okay, anybody really, really into paintball? Like you got camo and you paint your face. You just keep your hand up, Richard, because this is going to be up for the whole time. You got, you got like the, the Rambo ammunition belt, you know. You know, you're all into it. You do the thing around your head and pull it really tight so you're bleeding and makes you look tough. That's how you fight, right? Camo, you hide, you sneak behind a tree. I remember the first time that we went and played paintball, you know, it's like I looked for Wendy and she was gone because she just ran to an animal. You know, and she just took off. You're hiding behind trees. Cover me. Behind a tree and over here behind a tree. What does Jonathan do with his armor bearer? Here we are. Right here. Hey, guys. It's going. They showed themselves to the enemy. I mean, who does that? One, an idiot, or two, a person that has bold faith, okay? Bold faith, because bold faith is risky. When you and I pray for bold faith, let me just go ahead and tell you, you can expect to be put in situations that are risky and dangerous and uncomfortable. Can I tell you why that is? Everybody look at me. You're going to be amazed. Don't you all think I'm smart? You're going to be amazed at how brilliant this is. When you pray for bold faith, God puts you in positions that require faith. I know, you're a little underwhelmed, aren't you? But let's just play this out in the way that we pray. God, give me faith. Give me faith to trust what you... What, what do you mean I don't have money for the bills? <laughs> I'm supposed to have everything I need. I'm a king's kid. I get it all right. I mean, my dad's God. Yeah, but if you have it all, there's no need for faith in God. So when you pray for faith, it's like praying for patience. Pray for patience, and tomorrow you'll be behind every slow driver. They will actually not even move when the light turns green. When you pray for faith, the only way for God to give you faith, to develop your faith, is to put you in positions that require you to trust Him. So when you pray for it, expect that you're going to be put in positions that are not like sitting under a shady tree. Bold faith is risky. Number two, bold faith sees an opportunity for greatness. So to me, the question is obvious. Why even take the risk? And the answer is because bold faith sees an opportunity for greatness. The last part of verse 12 says this. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. 
I love that. Now, listen, most of us, we, we can dream big, right? And usually our big dreams are big dreams for us. Like when I'm driving to South Carolina to see my in-laws and we pass the, you know, the mega million sign and $640 million, whatever it is. And I, I don't know if you do this, but I start playing the games in my head. Like if I had $640 million, what would I do? And I'm usually like, I'm, I'm fat and happy eating something in a vacation home, and I've only spent like 50 million bucks, you know? I got a lot more left to go. But I never start playing the game like this. If I had $640 million, what would I do for others? I think of greatness for me. And if I got some left over, which of course you think that you would, that's a lot of money, then you could do something for somebody else. Listen to what they said. Verse 12, the Lord has given them into the hand of me and you, Jonathan, me and you, Armor Bear, we're the ones, we're the men, we did it, man. We're the ones that came out here, we took the risk, we have the bold faith, we're doing risky stuff, we got the, we, we're, we're stepping out in the open, and God's given us a great day. High five, woo, chest bump, boom. That's not what they said. They said the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. I mean, these guys, not only did they have have a risky step of bold faith but they saw an opportunity for greatness for their country i mean i want us to have bold faith as a church right i want god to do great things at the gathering but if we're just having faith for god to do stuff here just for us what a waste i want to have bold faith that god could do something great for the city for the county for our state for our region for our country for our nation for the world, country and nation is the same thing. I knew that. I was just seeing if you were paying attention. Bold faith allows you to see opportunities when others see obstacles. Ephesians 2.10, we've talked about this. says that God created you for good works. And dreaming of greatness is part of how you find those works. Like we will never be a church that says to our children as they grow up. I love it. You ask a, a, a child, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, flip burgers at McDonald's? No, nothing wrong with that. But that's not usually their answer, is it? They want to like play in a, in, in a sports league. They want professional sports. Um, if, you, if you ask Sydney, she'll say, I want to be a singer or an actor or actress. You know, I mean, we think of big things, kissing. And what do we usually say? That's good. Now, what are you going to do for a real job? Nothing wrong with having a job that pays money either, right? But do you not see how when we get older, we become the squelcher of big dreams? I mean, I want you to know this. God gave you the capacity to dream big because Ephesians 2.10 says that he actually created you to do big things. There's a reason why we dream big. Well, I used to go out back. Uh, this is going to sound like I have a lonely childhood, but my best friends were my dogs. And I would go out to our, my dad and mom's barn, and we had a little basketball goal. And so I would play championship basketball games, me against whoever I could imagine, right? And so how did, see if you can help me out here. How did my imagination run? How did my game end up? Who hit the winning shot? I did. Who got the girl? I did. Who was the number one pick in the NBA draft? I was. That's the way it works. We don't dream small. I never dreamed of my friend hitting the game shot, winning shot, and getting the girl, and the number one pick, and the multi-million dollar contract. 
We dream of greatness because God created us to dream of greatness. Let me just tell you this. God wants you to have bold faith because he wants to do something great through you for his glory. Bold faith sees an opportunity for greatness. Number three, bold faith attracts others. There's something about Jonathan's faith that caused a really deep commitment in his armor bearer. Um, and that's commitment uh, is something that all of us want, isn't it? Um, let me talk to the ladies in the house. All over America today, a woman is going to break up with a guy because she's going to say, you are afraid to commit. We all want commitment. Something about Jonathan's faith inspired his armor bearer to commit in a deep way. Bold faith attracts others. I've been hired for jobs, and I've had employers tell me in an interview, like, can I count on you? Are you trustworthy? Are you loyal? What are they saying to me? Are you going to commit? And I would say, absolutely. Are you? I asked the questions, not you. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I'm loyal, man, but if you're loyal back to me, I'm even that much more loyal. All of us want to know there's a commitment. So basically, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, we're outnumbered. This could cost you your life. You could end up alone if I die. Now listen, I don't know if you know much about armor bearers, but the way it works is if the person that they're protecting dies, they die. Like they kill themselves because the person that they were protecting dies. So when Jonathan says, I'm going to go do this great bold thing, armor bearers risking everything to follow. And so what does he say in verse 7? The armor bearer's answer to all of this is, I'm with you, heart and soul. Great word here. It means innards. Everybody say innards. That sounds so good. I'm so hungry. I need to fill my innards this morning. He said this, man. It literally means I'm with you with my whole being, with my innards, with everything I've got. And when you move in bold faith, you will attract deep commitment in others. You, you kind of see this in verse 13. When he said to him, hey, the Lord's given him into our hands. Verse 13 says, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And that reveals the next observation, that our last one about about. I'm sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. They're racing up the hill. Number four, bold faith ignites passion. It ignites passion. It says here that they ran up the hill using their hands and feet. Can you picture that? On all fours, going up, I know this is terrible, but, no, okay, let me just talk. The people that are going to watch this, you'll never even know what I'm talking about, but carry on at home. But all of us here, only in Stanley County. Is that right? Is that fair to say? I, just, I love that. Okay. Carrying on now. Um, here we go. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. So, bold faith ignites passion. I mean, look, verse 13, they climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. They could not get to the top fast enough. I, I, I mean, look, you could die. It's possible that you could die. I could die. This could cost us everything. My dad's the king. He could be ticked at us for doing this. But God just said he's going to give them to us, so 
let's go. Hand and feet, they cannot get to the top fast enough to fight an outmanned, outnumbered fight. Why is that? Because something about bold faith ignites passion. They're moving with passion. My first kiss, not passionate. Eighth grade, I heard the girl liked me. My friend said, you should kiss her. So when I met her behind the gym to kiss her, all my friends were there. <laughs> it was like, you know, like when you have a fight, 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 fight. It was the opposite of that. Possible kiss, possible kiss, possible kiss, and everybody's there. It really freaked me out. And on top of all of that, I found out that my grandma was sitting behind me in her Omni to pick me up. That's a lot of pressure in the eighth grade when you're kissing a girl. And so you can understand there's a little bit of a lack of passion. Like in the movies, like, come here, baby. It's like the whole deal, sweep her up and kiss her. But for me, my first kiss was close my eyes and hope I hit the right place. Which I did not. I, I was somewhere in the nose cheek area. Not a passionate kiss. Passion would be, and none of you are going to move right now because you know it's just an illustration, but if I guaranteed you, guaranteed you, that somewhere in this room was a million dollars, and whoever finds it first gets it, that's passion. Because you would be elbowing people. No, you would pick your mother up and throw her to the side in order to find the million dollars. That's moving with passion. I'm telling you something. Something in Jonathan ignited that passion. And so not only did Jonathan race up on his hands and feet, but it says his armor bearer was not just behind him, but right behind him. I just picture these two guys. I'm getting the first. I'm getting the first. I get the first kill. No, I get the first kill. Uh-uh. I don't care if I'm just your armor bearer. I'm getting there first. And they're racing up the hill to a fight. Because bold faith ignites passion. And so it all begs this one question. And then we're going to close. What on earth sparked such a deep commitment and a competitive race up that cliff to an outnumbered fight? And the answer is found in verse 6. It reveals the last observation about bold faith. And before I give you the answer, I'm going to frame it this way. We live in a world of guarantees, don't we? Now, I don't mean we're guaranteed it works out, but just watch a commercial. Money-back guarantee, disclaimers all over the place. And you know why they do that, right? Because literally they've done the studies. They know that if they just say that you can get your money back, they know like less than a percent, less than a half a percent of people are actually going to take advantage of that and send the stuff in. I mean, just, just yesterday, <laughs> Parker and Will and I were in Walmart, um, oddly enough, shopping for, you know, something. And we're in line, and at Walmart they have these three soda bottles, two-liter soda bottles, and it says something on there like if the, if the cashier doesn't ask you about something, just then you can get the bottle. And so Parker's like, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And I was like, cool, do it. She didn't ask the people in front of us. She didn't ask me. She didn't ask Parker. She didn't ask Will. Parker never asked her for the soda. He did turn to Will and say, just go get it. (laughs) 
Will, being the smart, wise young man he is that does not want to go to jail, said no. But listen, here's the why does Walmart do that? Nobody's asking. Nobody, we just think we will, but we won't. You're going to buy something tonight at 1.30 in the morning off a stupid infomercial because it says money back guarantee. I literally bought Carlton Sheets buy houses with no money down because it had a 30-day money back guarantee. Only problem, idiot didn't use it for 30 days and tried to mail it back on day 31. And you know what they said? Thank you. Can I get my money? No, it's day 31. But thanks for sending back the product so we can sell it to another idiot. People don't use the money-back guarantees. But we live in a culture that sees it and goes, oh, yeah, a guarantee, man. That's what I want. I, I love, you hang out with Jay for any length of time or anybody else that's in the, in the field of sales, and here's what you'll hear them say. The confused mind says no. The confused mind says no. So you need to answer every question that somebody has, every objection, so that they can absolutely have 100% certainty that what you're selling them is going to work and that they need it and yada, yada, yada. We live in a culture that wants answers, guarantees, and disclaimers. But the unnamed armor bearer, in order to take the most reckless, passionate, attractive, with the whole bold step of faith, all he needed was maybe. Fifth truth about bold faith is that it appears reckless. It's clear just from what we've read so far that Jonathan had a bold plan. He had a bold dream of victory, and it's equally clear that it all hinged on one word in verse 6, and that word is perhaps. Everybody say perhaps. Listen to verse 6. Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So if there's a group of people in here today that have staked everything they have on the word maybe, it's your mom. Your mom has no guarantee that their children will turn out serving Jesus. They have a hope. They have perhaps Moms get on their knees and they pray for their children because perhaps God will do something in their kids. Through the worst of circumstances, moms believe that something can turn their children around. My mom believed that about me. Um, if you're in Joe Lucas's small group, he's got a phenomenal testament about his mom just praying him into the kingdom of God. Some of you moms... You're here this morning and you're believing for your children. Some of you are here this morning because your mom believes in you. Some of you are here this morning and you know that the hole in your heart can only be filled with Jesus. And the whole reason you're here, the reason right now you're freaking out, is because you know that the woman who's sitting two or three chairs away from you has been praying about you to God. And because you have the ability to make a decision, you have the, the freedom to make a choice, there is no guarantee for your mom when she prays about that. She, there's a perhaps. Maybe today, moms are saying, maybe today. 
Maybe today church stops being church for my kid. Maybe today church becomes Jesus. Maybe. It's a word that is the opposite of a guarantee. And it can be translated what if. So here's what we do. Y'all what if yourself to death, right? Have you ever noticed when we do the what if game, we always answer it with bad stuff? Well, what if a meteor strikes? What if my tire falls off my car and then like the whole thing blows up while I'm in it with my dog? What if I lose my job? What if we go broke? What if I fail? Jonathan and his armor bearer answered it with a God possibility. What if God does something? What if we take a step of bold faith and God does something phenomenal? What about that? And the armor bearer's like, let's go. <laughs> bold faith is, is Abraham faith. Romans 4, 8 through 21. Let me just read that to you real quick. We're almost done. Romans 4, 18 through 21. We talked about unwavering prayer just a little bit earlier. You tell me if this does not describe moms. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Bold faith doesn't need a guarantee. It just needs an opportunity. How many of you pray for God to give you an open door? Raise your hand. Now, I'm going to say this. It's going to make you feel bad, okay? I don't mean it that way. Bold faith doesn't need an open door. Just a cracked one. Just give me a crack. Just give me a little glimmer of hope, and I'm through. It's ready to jump on, perhaps, because people with bold faith in God are always ready to make bold moves for God. They recognize that God calls us to reckless things. He called Peter out of a boat. He called Jonathan to a fight. He called David to a giant. He called his own son to a cross. Man, I'm telling you right now, God's will for you is not to be safe. God's will for you is to take a risk. Some of us are planners. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to one of those. People that right now, I'm freaking them out because I've gone five minutes too long. And does he not know that we have to be somewhere at this time? How many of you are fly by the seat of your panters? Yeah, and more than likely, you those two got married. <laughs> Good luck with that. There's marriage counseling available if you need it. Listen, there's, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with planning. I, I do recognize that maybe sounds a lot more fun to one of those people than to the other, okay? Planners, people that are into all the details, they hear maybe... And they're like, uh, no, we're not going on maybe. Show me every detail, every answer, and I will then plan to pray about it, <laughs> right? Fly by the seat of your panners, you're like, shoot, let's do it, man. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay, so what? Yeah, right, yeah, we'll probably die. Bankruptcy, not a big deal. Let's just do it. 
There's nothing wrong with planning, um, not working out details. I'll be honest, it can be a bit irresponsible. But one thing matters. Only one detail matters. It's found in verse 6, and here it is. Why in the world did Jonathan jump on perhaps? Because he did have one guarantee. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Say nothing. Look at the person next to you. That might be your nothing right there. I'm just saying, it's possible, right? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Nothing. He can save in good times and bad times. He can save at the top of a cliff while you're fighting an outnumbered fight. He can save anywhere, anytime. Nothing can hinder. That's the only detail that matters. And that one detail turns the risky into the revolutionary. And it's what propelled these two young men on their hands and feet up a cliffside to a fight. Perhaps. Just perhaps. So here's what we're going to do. Let's wrap this up. I want you to write this down. If you only remember one thing, here's what I want you to get from today. And it is possible you will only remember one thing, but this is the one. Bold moves for God require bold faith in God. Bold moves for God require bold faith in God. Not bold faith in you, not bold faith in your marketing plan, not bold faith in the number of people who can attend the gathering. Just God and His ability to save without being hindered. So the question becomes, look at me. Will you believe in Jesus? That's it. That's the whole question. Will you believe in Jesus? I don't want to. Because I don't really like this stuff. It's not fun. Yeah, but, but at your core, right? At your core. Where eternity has been put in your heart by God. Isn't that why when you wake up from the Saturday night party and you've been throwing up and puking, even though the party might have been a lot of fun, it probably was, isn't that why you feel empty? Because eternity has been set in your heart? Isn't that why when you broke up with that one girl to go find the next girl because she was better than the girl two girls before, you ended up breaking up with that girl to go with another girl and you still felt empty? Because at the core of who you are, eternity has been set in your heart and all that can fill it is Jesus. That's it. So I know a secret about you because I'm just like you. We're broken people. And we try with our own strength to make risky bold moves because we're bored out of our minds. So the wilder the better, the more exciting the better because we have confused boring. We think if we can just be busy, we'll be okay. But God's not calling you to that. He's not calling you to activity. He's just calling you to Jesus, to bold faith in Jesus. I heard a story about a man one time. He fell over the edge of a cliff and on the way down, he grabbed as frantically as he could and got hold of the one thing that he could grab, and it was a branch, one branch. It was nighttime. He had no clue what was below him or underneath him. He's just holding to that branch. And he starts screaming, Jesus! Help! A few minutes later, he hears a voice at the top of the cliff. Yes, what do you need? Um... Is that you, Jesus? Yes, yeah, me. What's going on? What do you need? 
I, I fell down off the cliff and I'm, I've grabbed a hold of this branch and I'm, I just need you, I need you to help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus! And Jesus said, let go. Is there anybody else up there? That's us. That's us. And he'll tell us what to do. We don't necessarily like it because it requires bold faith. And so we just look for anybody else. And nobody else can save you. Alcohol is hindered from saving. Friends are hindered from saving. Money is hindered from saving. But Jesus is never hindered from saving. He saves fully. He saves completely. At the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus and as the leader of the gathering, I simply want to let go. I just want to have bold faith. I want to let go and make some bold moves for God and just see what happens. Perhaps, maybe, what if God did something amazing as a result.